Adam Crowley Show. I mean, I cannot believe the kind of nonsense that I am hearing right now. On ESPN Pittsburgh, 970 AM and 106.3 FM. Live at Dino's Inlay Trobe for the last time of 2018 Steelers training camp. It never goes quickly, but when it's done, it's surprising. You can't believe how much time has gone by. And coming up at 440, about 19 minutes here on the Crowley Show, I'll go into some of the things I learned from Steelers training camp, including just how much I can drink and still successfully put away a Steelers Nation radio tent. But before that, we'll talk to our good buddy Matt Geica now. Matt, how are you today? I think I'm doing better than you if the cheese tease is any indication. You didn't look great there. You're a little sleepy. I may or may not have had a thousand beers last night. (laughs) Well, you're on the air. You're doing your job. That's all that's important, right? Well, that segues nicely into what I wanted to talk about, in fact, Matt Geica, uh, and that is Antonio Brown and some of the things that he has done or not done this week, four and a half hours late at Children's Hospital, and then yesterday he's tweeting about Ed Bouchette being a clown, and I wonder, is it enough for an athlete to just be an athlete, or do they also have to maintain some sense of decorum on or, pardon me, off the field. Uh, yeah, I think it's enough for an athlete to be an athlete, but you also have to understand that uh, when you're of the profile of Antonio Brown, everything you do is going to be scrutinized. And with regards to the Children's Hospital thing, we've heard many times that he's often late for, for appearances like this. And maybe if it's a car wash or a Dick Sporting Goods, it doesn't um, resonate as much as Children's Hospital. So, um, he's just got to take all the blowback that he gets for this stuff, and uh, a lot of it is deserved. I don't get the Ed Bouchette thing either. Uh, like, he's never <laughs> seen a reporter tweet about something he did at practice. So uh, I'm not sure he'll ever uh, address that publicly, but that's also um, you know a, a bad look for him as well. But does he really care? I, I highly doubt it, just judging from his public behavior over the years. Should he care, or should he continue to go out there and catch 100 balls a season and his popularity amongst Pittsburgh Steelers is higher than anybody else's even despite all this stuff which screams to me that no matter what kind of person you are off the field as long as you do it enough on the field people are just going to turn away they're not going to care not that it's breaking news well that's true to an extent but I think also he might be missing out on having that all-time legendary status Hmm. if you are a good person and if you do give back and um, if you mind your um, your business in a, uh, well, I don't want to call it a proper fashion, but a fashion that most people appreciate, then you can elevate beyond athlete to uh, a status like that of Mario Lemieux, for instance. I think right. he's a pretty good example of that, right? Roberto Clemente. He's not, just a, he's not just an all-time great athlete, an all-time great Pittsburgh athlete, but he's a Pittsburgh institution. And if you want to look at it just from that selfish point of view, perhaps Antonio could tidy some things up because there are other opportunities there and there's... A, a way to be even more beloved than he is right now. Here's what's frustrating to me with Antonio. He's always been pleasant to get along with in the locker room. Uh, they, Dale Lolly and Jerry Dulac did a show with him on TV. He'd be late a lot, but he was very engaging, and uh, and he behaved himself, if you will, uh, whenever he was there. I don't think he's a bad guy. I, I think he might 
somewhere along the way have been misled. He might not be hanging out with the best people. Uh, and it is it is upsetting to see because, I mean, he's so dynamic, and you need these dynamic personalities, I think, in sports. And there are so many good things that Antonio Brown does do that kind of get overshadowed by that. I mean, he donated $100,000 to Pittsburgh's Children's Hospital, and people don't remember that because he doesn't show up until four and a half hours after he got there. Well, I think you touched on something that might be true if I had to make a guess uh, about his his inner circle. There's probably no one in there who can tell him, you know what, A.B., that was stupid, and, and you need to uh, fix that some way. He's probably the alpha dog in that circle, and uh, for, for some guys that works, for some athletes, for some high-profile people in the entertainment or whatever other industry you want to point out, that can work. But for other people, they need someone to, to play a, a check to their um, you know, to their ego or to their id, whatever you want to say there. <laughs> and Antonio, no doubt, makes football more fun. He makes following the Steelers more fun. Um, and he makes the Steelers a heck of a lot better um, than if he were on another team. But uh, there are these other things that, that can detract from his performance. And it has bothered teammates in the, in the locker room. We talked about uh, Ben Roethlisberger last year after the cooler throwing incident. Um, you know, other situations, the Facebook Live in the locker room after the win at Kansas City in the playoffs, those are things that have bothered the team, too. So you can make a case that it's in the team's best interest as well that uh, I don't know if it needs to be a teammate, but it might need to be someone that he has the respect for on the field to uh, to tell him to tighten up. But then again, if Ben Roethlisberger is not going to do the, the job in that regard, then maybe he's just unreachable at this point. Matt Geica joining us here on the Crowley Show. I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about Tiger Woods and what he was able to do this weekend. I know you're a big golf guy. Uh, my fear for Tiger is that he's now expected to win a major after having been in contention on Sunday for two straight. And I don't think that's fair given everything that he's gone through. I know that he continues to set new expectations for himself with the media and with the fans by how well he goes out there and performs. But that being said, I don't think the expectation should be that he wins. I think we should marvel in what he was just able to accomplish. Yeah, there are two different ways to look at it, right? And number one is what you might be perceiving there, that the the expectation level has risen up. And I don't know if I blame anybody when you have a guy who had the lead in the final round of the Open Championship last month and then was one off the lead and shot uh, six under par to make a real final round charge at the PGA Championship. Those are two different kinds of golf courses. Those are two different kinds of approaches to, uh, to going after a, a championship, a major championship. And he, he excelled at both in, in varying ways. I'd say it was even more encouraging to see him chase after um, a guy like Brooks Kepka and almost drag him down. So um, there's a lot to be excited about if you're a Tiger Woods fan and if you're a golf fan in general. It just makes things more interesting. That's what I love about golf is the cross-generational aspect. You can have a 40-something play against a 20-something, and they're pretty darn close in the end. Uh, but I always took 2018 as a bonus. And from Tiger's public comments, I think he has treated it that way, yes. too. And maybe it's the the rehab mentality there. He's used the word blessed a lot. And I'm not sure he ever said that word in his first 40 years of existence. Um, he's definitely a different guy these days and, and not taking anything for granted, as he shouldn't after you have your, uh, your back fused, uh, something that a high-level golfer has never really gotten through. So it's uncharted territory. I'm still not comfortable saying that he's definitely going to win a major, but 
he's right back in the mix for, you know, top ten players in the world, for Ryder Cup consideration, for, for just being there on the leaderboard. And at this time last year, after all that he went through, I had pretty much given up on that, just to, if only to spare myself the disappointment when it didn't happen. Let's do a little, a couple hypotheticals here, Matt. If he had stayed healthy, I think he passes Jack Nicklaus. I don't think there's a doubt about that, given the way he's performing right now. Let's pretend that that would have been the case, and let's pretend that if he comes back next year playing the way he is, that he'll win the Masters. What's more satisfying as a fan, seeing him just blow through Jack or seeing him after the rehabilitation, after everything that he's gone through, come back and win the green jacket? I think uh, the latter is more satisfying. It's Me more too. enjoyable. It's that redemption arc that we're all so familiar with, whether it's for sports. And I find myself pulling for him even more than I ever thought possible because I feel like he's made an honest effort to be a better human being, to be a good dad, uh, to be a better person, to, uh, to be a, a better... Uh, colleague, if you want to put it that way, or fellow competitor with his fellow golfers on the PGA Tour. The old Tiger would not have been sitting there waiting for the winner to come to the clubhouse so he could shake his hand and give him a bro hug. So things have changed in that way, and it's cool to see the evolution of Tiger Woods as this unstoppable Terminator type for the first 15 years of his career to uh, more vulnerable, maybe more susceptible to, to flaws and to big mistakes, but that almost adds stakes to it for me and uh, I have just I've appreciated this run so much it's been such a value added type of a summer uh, for me as a golf fan and as a, a Tiger follower from way back so um, it's easy for me to say because I didn't have to go through the public humiliation the Absolutely. back surgery the rehab all that but I've, I've loved every second of it so far. Matt Geica joining us here on the Crowley show as for Tiger Woods I think it's uh, appropriate to kind of liken him to Antonio Brown. Uh, both guys can be unlikable off the field, and yesterday I spent a long time defending Tiger Woods because professional athletes, I don't sign up for them to be role models for my kids. If they are, that's the bonus. Do you think that people should be looking up to sports figures as role models? Um, should they? I guess that's questionable. You have to make the right choices, and I, I thought... <laughs> I thought as a teenager coming up and playing golf uh, that Tiger was as good of a person to follow. But to your point, I didn't really follow him because he was a great dude. I followed him because he was awe-inspiring, and I thought I could follow uh, or, or look up to him in that way in the realm of golf. But now maybe with uh, the apparent character change he's gone through, it's a different type of, uh, mm -hmm. of a role model situation. I think any time you put um, someone up on a pedestal, though, whether it be in your life or uh, in the public eye, then uh, you're taking a risk, right? It could be your, your father, your mother. It could be uh, your relative. It could be a good friend. Um, you know, we're all fallible in our own ways. So role model is one thing. I think you can keep it specific. And if you – let's say with Antonio Brown, what a great role model in terms of work ethic, right? Um, right. Getting drafted so low. And to this day, if there, if there were an athlete that you could excuse perhaps taking a couple of days off in training camp, it would be him at, at this point in his stature. But – he doesn't do it. He keeps wanting to at least maintain his, his stature, if not increase it. So um, you, you just have to make these decisions for yourselves. And maybe if you're, uh, if you're a parent or whatever and you talk to your kid about it, you say no one's perfect, but here's a trait at least that you can look at. And uh, that's probably the approach I'm going to take with, <laughs> uh, with our little son and uh, if any other 
little Geikas come along because otherwise you are setting yourself up for disappointment inevitably. Well, because of that, because there are people and children that do look up to these athletes, because it does happen, absolutely, does the athlete then have a responsibility to at least make note of that and, and, and to, on some level, kowtow to that? Um, I, I don't think so, personally. I think you've got to live your own life the way that you best see fit. But uh, I, I think that me, personally, if I were in that position, I'd have a hard time not doing everything I could with my position of power, with my uh, position on the public stage? Well, that's the thing. We can only speak for ourselves, right? And I would feel if I were in that elevated of a position uh, with uh, the fame I've garnered from whatever spot I was in, whatever profession I was in, I would um, absolutely feel the pressure to be a good human being, to have integrity, to practice what I preach. It would it would all be amped up to a whole different level. So in that way, I don't envy so many of these athletes, especially, since that's what we're talking about today, we'll stick with that. Uh, just because of the, the pressures of the sport, and uh, a lot of times uh, the pressures of that stage can overcome you, and maybe we as humans aren't meant to um, perform on these stages in that way. Uh, maybe it's, it's inevitable that there will be some slippage in some area of our lives that we'd rather not. So um, it's hard for me to judge, but me personally, yeah, I'd, I'd want to be that person who was, great on the field and also great in the community uh, just because um, I had that, that personal pride and I'd want to have people be proud to know me and people that I grew up with before I got to be famous. I would want them to um, to continue to want to affiliate themselves with me. So that's where my motivation would come from there. I'm proud to know you, Geica. Appreciate you taking the time <laughs> well, as always. <laughs> I appreciate you and I we'll hope you get a more restful evening tonight. Uh, there's no doubt that I will. I'll be watching Hard Knocks and then falling deeply to sleep. Thanks again, buddy. You got it. Talk to you soon. Yes, sir. There he goes, Matt Geico, one of my favorite people to add perspective. And he made a lot of great points there. Uh, really good at thinking through his words as they come out of his mouth. Sometimes I don't do that. That's why they gave me a radio show. Coming up next, I'll tell you what I've learned from Steelers training camp, both on the field and off the field. And there is some breaking news about something that did happen on the field at Steelers practice. It is the Crowley Show. The Adam Crowley Show. Oh, he went from the bottom. I give up, man. If you're not going to be honest about it, I give. John, Thanks my nipple looks like on. my Bye-bye. nipple looks like my cat, like a like my cat's nipple. <laughs> Adam Crowley on ESPN Pittsburgh. There's some breaking news on the Pirates front and the Steelers front. We'll get to the Pirates stuff coming up with Jason Rollison in 19 minutes at the top of the hour here on the Crowley Show. The Steelers breaking news is that Ben Roethlisberger had to be helped off the field after going down in a non-contact injury at Steelers practice today. And the rumor is he hit his head and he's going to get in the concussion protocol. When you hear that a player goes down non-contact, you're thinking Teddy Bridgewater. You're thinking a guy tore his ACL. That's never a good sign. This isn't a great sign either. Hopefully he's just going to get looked at. Hopefully he'll pass the concussion protocol and he'll be fine. He's not going to play Thursday one way or another, but... This is why when people say Ben Roethlisberger is going to play three more years, when Ben Roethlisberger himself says he's going to play three more years, I say, I'm not so sure. 
because anything can happen over the course of a season. He took so many hits early in his career that even though he's 36 years old, he's got like a 45-year-old body. He gets beat up all the time, or he got beat up all the time early in his career, and that has stopped since Todd Haley has become the offensive coordinator, and I would imagine that Randy Feetner will call a similar offense. It's been better, but it's still something that you, you don't get over whenever you've gotten beaten up that much earlier in your career. Uh, those hits, they compound, and all it takes is one. So I don't know if Ben Roethlisberger is going to play three more years. We shall see. Hopefully, hopefully he's okay after practice today. Any more information we get, we will obviously pass along to you. Ben's not going to play on Thursday. Landry Jones also not going to play on Thursday. The Steelers have already made up their mind as it relates to the number two quarterback. And they have for a long time. I've said it on this program. Landry Jones is the guy. He gives them the best chance to win. And people who thought that a rookie would come in here and take that job from a proven player, from a player that they trust, they just don't know what they're watching. They don't know this organization. This organization believes strongly in him. And when this organization believes in a veteran, they're going to play that veteran. They're going to allow that guy to stay in his spot. And with him not playing Thursday, Landry, that means... He's got it locked up. There's nothing Dobbs can do. There's nothing that Mason could do that's going to allow them to pass him up. So it is kind of sad for Josh Dobbs, though, at this point, because if Landry's locked in at number two, well, he's making the roster. You know Mason Rudolph's making the roster because he was Steelers' third-round pick. They think he could possibly be the future. They had a first-round grade on him. So Josh Dobbs, he's playing. He played, I thought, fairly well on Thursday last week. I'm sure he'll give it his best foot forward this time on Thursday as well against Green Bay. But he's not going to make the team. The only way he does is if he gets hurt. And I would imagine in the fourth quarter in the last preseason game, we are going to see one of the final few plays Josh Dobbs have to limp off the field, whether it's real or not. Hey, maybe Ed Bouchette should report on it. Here are some things I learned at Steelers training camp this year. I wasn't here a lot, but when I was, I partied. Dale Lawley parties hard every night. Matt Williamson is a brown liquor drinker, and it is dangerous. And last night at the bar, as we're winding down, he bought 12 shots. He bought every writer, every media personality who was there, he bought them a shot if they were willing to take it. Fowler took two, and it got wild. What time was this? Probably around one. Nice. I feel like death. I feel good now. I felt like death when I woke up. I felt awful because you're drinking beer all night and you think, okay, I'll turn in a little bit early if I can get to bed by midnight after drinking 15 beers. At least it's beer. I'll be okay. Grab something to eat, maybe a pizza on the way out, and you'll be fine. Williamson, he just buys the entire room shots, and rumor has it his tab was about 150 bucks. Wow. Hundo well, 50. Beer makes shots such a good idea. Uh, Every time. Like, there is, I don't think there's two drinks that go more well together or two types of drinks that go together better than beer leading to liquor. Because uh, we all know that shots at that time in the morning is probably a, a horrible idea. It's never going to work out well. It never has in the history of growing up. But the beer just makes it seem like it's the best idea in the world at the time. That's why Williamson was like, hey, you know what would be better idea than one shot? Twelve shots. Oh, I mean, that's absurd. 
That is absurd. That is him just throwing it around. I'm Matt Williamson, baby. I'm buying in 12 shots. I got us in our money. Who do you think (laughs) I cursed when I woke up in the morning? Matt Williamson. Williamson. You're damn right. I woke up and thought, why the hell did he do that? And Williamson's the kind of guy, uh, he might not want me telling this, I don't care. He buys a big old jug of Jameson and just keeps it in his room so he can have a nightcap when he gets back. And Wes and I walked in. About one thirty, went into Williamson's room, and there he is, just with a little tumbler of whiskey sitting there. What the hell's his problem? And then what the hell's my problem? Because he gave me another one. He had one of those little plastic cups they hand us all at St. Vincent Inlay Trobe, and he filled it up with whiskey, and I just put it right back. I don't know what problem you're seeing, but Williamson didn't appear to have any problems to me. <laughs> he's just sitting in his room hanging out with this big old bucket of whiskey. Yeah, it just seems like he's the guy with whiskey. Yeah. It's not like he's forcing yeah. the whiskey down your throat. You it's just alcoholism. happen to find him. <laughs> no, it's just preparedness. It's it's like, if that's even a word, it's like being a Cub Scout. Just be prepared. That's what Williamson was. He messed with me. He said, Crowley, this will make you feel better. And I said, okay. So I took it right before bed. I took a shot of Jameson. Right, the last thing that went down my gullet before bed was a shot of Jameson. Oh, my goodness. See, I, the only way to counter it. flipping idea. The only, then it is, but the only way to counter it, and it's, it's counterintuitive, but you go with the shot in the morning to wake up. I did have a shot this morning sitting next to my bed when I woke up because I poured it at night, and I thought, I will take this, and Wes... Who's here on site with me, Wes the Mess? He was also my roommate. He said, "There's no chance in hell that you take that shot tomorrow morning." And Wes was right because I sniffed it right before I came out here to get on the air, and I almost vomited. Uh, you got a beer, love Jameson too. You got a beer in you though, at least like you're at Dino's hanging out. So at yeah, least you Dino's gotta, is great. You, you know what they one? do here at Dino's, which is awesome, underrated move, or maybe properly rated, but they don't do it enough places. All their glasses. Are frozen solid. Oh, that is a bu- that, oh, that's I love a that move. A plus bar move. Yep, right I there. love that move. I that, that is a badass way to drink beer. I'm drinking Bud Light here, of course, because that's our sponsor, and it's the best Bud Light I've ever had. I'm not even being facetious. It is it ice cold glass, and it just goes down the gullet. But too many of them went down the gullet last night, and it led to me behaving obnoxiously in the bathroom as everyone's asleep in the middle of the night. Uh, Jim Colony from the station across the street, he is in the room across from me and Wesley in St. Vincent College, in in the dorm room. And he does not like being awoken early. He wakes up every morning at 4 a.m. to do their morning show, and he told us whenever he he was leaving the bar last night with his pizza, he said, do not wake me up like you guys did last year. Do not wake me up at, like, 3 in the morning, because that's it. I'm done. I won't be able to fall asleep again after that. I said, no problem, Jim. No problem at all. Yeah, problem. I was yelling in the bathroom. (laughs) I was messing around in the bathroom. I'm not going to go into full details what I was doing, but it was obnoxious. And Matt Williamson was in the handicapped bathroom, which I think we could have a further discussion on that. Are you supposed to use that if you're not handicapped? And he said, Crowley, come on in here. I turn the corner, and he sprays me down with a a hose. Oh, with a hose? Uh, with a shower head. It wasn't a sexual thing, Brian. Yeah, what? I'm just I'm trying to get clarification Look, here. You said Williamson sprayed you down. I mean, yeah. With his hose. Yeah. It's no big deal. I mean, where else? We got to ask cl- questions for clarification there. <laughs> I woke up again like two hours later to go to the bathroom, <laughs> and my pillow was just soaking wet. And I said, what the hell happened? I didn't even remember what happened. Oh, no. And I'm stumbling around. 
Can I just say, yeah, real quick, Colony has no right to tell you guys to be quiet. You're at camp. You're staying at a dorm. Colony, you're probably pulling down some pretty good coin. So if you don't want to stay in a place where people might wake you up like they did last year, go get a hotel room. Don't be the dude who's going to be like, hey, don't have any fun late at camp. Also, can I say that if I'm drunk at 1 a.m. at a bar and Jim Colony comes up to me and says, hey, make sure you don't wake me up (laughs) in the morning, that's the one thing I want to do now is to go wake up Jim Colony. Like, that's number one on my list of things to do after a couple Jameson shots. Colony just gave us the best idea ever. Woo! Last year was the, uh, I've told the infamous Kevin Colbert hands my credit card story back to me a couple of times where I got so hammered and then went wound up at the bonfire that Kevin Colbert had to give me my card back because I dropped it somewhere. I didn't pay my tab at, at the bar we were at. And it was a total disaster. Well, one of the things that really pissed Colony off was I got awoken at like 4.30 in the morning that night because Gerard from Steelers TV and one of the camp girls busted into my room with a Nerf gun and they shot the hell out of me. <laughs> they just shot that. And I'm screaming. They're screaming. It was a war. I'm like, oh, I got to duck. Oh, my God. I got to fight cover. It's totally awful. I just became Jerry Seinfeld. And he said, what the hell were you guys doing? What the hell? I said, it was a guerrilla attack. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> Nothing I could do. Jim Colony hates fun, it seems like. But- no, I, hey, I'm on his side. I can't believe Wes stayed out as often as he did, as late as he did, with how early he had to be up to set up the broadcast. For no, Wes, Wes balled out during camp, dude. He was doing some late nights, getting up very early. Like, I, I'm kind of impressed with how he rolled. His honestly. first camp was very similar to my first camp. My first camp, I had to do a show, a power hour, from 8 till 9 every morning. And I'd come back from the bar at 2.30 and stay up and go to the fire till 4. And then four hours later, I was doing a show on the air. And you just roll with it. Now I'm now Yeah, I it's so tough. You just got to roll with it. You know, going from bonfires to radio shows. Oh, don't, don't get me wrong. It's an absolute blast. But like today when I woke up, I thought, my life sucks. The other great camp thing that I was able to take away was that Wes and I are very good at putting a tent into a car when intoxicated. Oh yeah, you had a you had a run in with security guards late at night. You were shoeless, I believe. Was I was that... shoeless and shirtless, much like Tom, and the Steelers Nation radio tent was getting beat down by the storm. So we had to go out and take it down, put it in the back of Wes's car so that it didn't look like death the next day. And a security guard came over and said, You guys stealing that? Said, what the hell do we steal this for? I mean there's so many, like, I want the giant Heinz Ward. If I'm stealing something, I'm stealing the giant Heinz Ward head. Or I'm going to take the giant inflatable Drome Bettis legs. Yeah, not the Steeler Nation radio tent. That, like, no. hey, this will look cool in my backyard. Cooking up some burgers. So those are the two from this year that were the nights that it got wild. Yeah. I only stayed here four or five times. So I only went out four or five times. And people were giving me a bunch of hell for it. But the reason that I do that... Is because if I stay every night, I would do that every night, and the and then, show would suffer, my career would suffer, and it, it gets harder as you get older. It really does oh to keep that pace up. You know, the one thing that's funny to me though is every time, whether it's the combine, you come back with a security guard story. There's always a security guard involved in it in some way. You're an indie for the combine. And there's a security guard chasing you through like the locked corridors of of the hotel. I forgot about that. That's a good point by you. Yeah, we 
Me and, again, Steelers TV, Gerard. <laughs> yes, yeah, he's a bad there's, influence. There's something I, going on with this dude. <laughs> it was like four years ago. I threw up at the NFL Combine because we drank until 3 a.m. because the bars they open there later, and he we were doing a chugging contest with IPAs, and that that did not work out well. So I threw up on my shoes, and I threw up in the back of Scott Graham's car from Steelers TV, and that was bad. But the best ever was when we were trying to get back to the hotel. In Indianapolis in February is the coldest you'll ever be in your life. It's all flat. There's wind. It's insane. So everything's inside. There's all these tunnels that are built. And we were trying to get back to our hotel through said tunnels like we're in an ant farm. And the door to the mall wasn't unlocked. But yet we were still able to open it. By putting our hands, you mean in the you broke in, you doors. broke into you a mall? You broke into a mall. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no. Well, the door wasn't unlocked, but we were still able to go it in. It opened really easily after we uh, we pushed yeah. it a little no, bit. Okay, I mean, it was an easy break in. That's yeah. their fault for not having a harder lock. It's a B and E. So we're walking through, and an alarm starts going off. Well, we better get the hell out of here. Next thing you know, we're outside, and we look back up, and Gerard goes, "No, there's some, there's someone up there." There's someone up there. We could. We were fine. There's people walking up there. And next thing you know, it's a security guard who's got his flashlight on. He's got his hand on his holster, not knowing who he's going to yeah. wind up coming across. We would have been arrested. Paul Blart's chasing you down, like Segway chasing you down the hallway. <laughs> like, this oh. this guy was more than Paul Blart. This guy was like Vin Diesel. He was huge. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. He would have beat us. What are you guys doing? I don't know. Yeah, that dude probably washed out of police academy for like having too many aggression issues. You know, he was just like, "Oh, he would beat us down." Like, yeah, looking to take you and Gerard out in the uh, in the old uh, indie tube there. He would have he would have put the indie tube to the back of my head. <laughs> what? Coming up next, we've got Jason Rollins <laughs> from from where? From where? <laughs> the Locked On Pirates podcast. We got to talk about this Pirates breaking news. We'll do that. It's a Crowley show.